If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. Think about this. From John 14, 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. How does God assess our love for him? It says he makes that valuation of the greatness of the love based on the keeping of his word. This is what it says. It is not based on saying, I I love you, God, a hundred times a day. It is not based on how I might worship, although that might be an outflowing of it. It is not based on what service I might do. He says, you keep my word. That is how he assesses love. How would you like him to assess it? That's the way he's chosen. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him. Think about that. The God of the universe will love the one that keeps the word of the Son. Your students sometimes want to get to know me and I say, look, if you really want me to like you, be good to my children. Be good to my children. Because you can take a person and if you are good to their children, they will always like you. I used to do prison ministry for 10 years in a maximum security prison. And when I couldn't get through to a man, I would say, do you have children that I could pray for? And all of a sudden, they would stop and look at me. Because everybody wants the best for their children. Works the same with God. You be good to His Son. And He takes special interest. He says, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him. Who is this we? This is Jesus and his Father. We will come to him. Don't trouble yourself. You need not come to us. We are coming to you. That's what Jesus said. We will come to him and make our abode with Him. We will come to Him and make our abode with Him. We will set up shop in His house. Who keeps the word of the Son. We will make our abode with Him. He doesn't promise us material blessings in the New Testament. It is not there. 1 Timothy 6, 8. If we have food and clothing, with that we shall be content. That is it. That is what we are promised in the New Testament. Food and clothing. Men of whom the world was not worthy have wandered in caves and hills and holes in the ground. He doesn't even promise us a home. Luke 9, 58 says, The foxes have holes. The birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay His head. He does not promise us material blessings. But what He promises us 
is Himself. He promises us Himself. Something so much greater than what the world could offer. He says we will come to Him and make our abode with Him. The treasure of knowing God is so much more than anything else of having His presence. Because the essence of punishment is alienation from Him. That is the essence of punishment. He need not take our lives and rub our noses into the sand. He need not do that. All He does is just, okay, you're on your own. And then we become very ugly, even to ourselves, very quickly. His presence is what He promises us. His abode, His abiding with us. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. What a promise. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, the scriptures say. And it also says, if anyone serves me, he must come to me. Where I am, there shall my servant also be. And if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. John twelve twenty six. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Jesus was on his way to the cross. Jews from outside the region of Jerusalem were filling Jerusalem. And they came to the disciples and they said, we want to see your master. The end was coming. He says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there shall my servant also be. And if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. The Father will honor the one who serves him. This is a beautiful truth. How do you get to college? I speak to college students. How do you get to college? Nobody gets into college alone these days. Nobody. You've got to have people helping you write your essays and padding your resumes with a million activities. They correct your resumes to, to fix it up, to, to make it sound like you really know how to write when you really don't. So many people, how do you get your jobs? You get recommendations. Somebody knows somebody. It says the Father will honor Him. How about having the God of all the universe behind you? That's what it says. The Father will honor Him. The Father will honor Him. Those who honor me, I will honor. 1 Samuel 2, verse 30. Those who honor me, I will honor. 
He does things. It comes through service. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there shall my servant also be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Service. How is it that we serve? How did Jesus serve? I mean, Jesus was so atypical. The amazing thing is not that Jesus went to sinners. The amazing thing is that sinners came to Him in abundance. They loved to be with Him. The, the sinner, which is a euphemism for prostitute, came into the Pharisee's house, Simon the Pharisee. I mean, she didn't normally come into his house. She didn't want to be there. But Jesus was there. She wanted to be there. And started to anoint his feet with her very tears. How did Jesus serve? In, in John, chapter 4, verse 9, Jesus meets a Samaritan woman by a well. His disciples aren't there. They've gone to get some food. And he asks her for a drink. And she says to him, How is it that you... Being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman. For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew who it, who it was who was asking you for a drink, you would have asked of him, and he would have given you living water. The Gospel according to John is a, is, a, is a gospel of contrast. John's, one of his sub-themes, is contrasting light and darkness. And he juxtaposes light and darkness. You see darkness, right next to it is light. You see light, right next to it is darkness. And he shows the contradistinction. She says to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, and I've read scholars in Greek, when she says, how is it that you, being a Jew, it's a derogatory, like you, the Jew. How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink? Because I am a Samaritan woman. There are two reasons why he should not have been engaged with her. Because she was a Samaritan and because she was a woman. And then, John gives us a little word there, he says, for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And the next verse is, Jesus answered and said to her, boom, the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans, Jesus answered and said to her. This is how he served, very different than his culture served, very different than people around him served, very different than the way his own society served. This is how he served. Constantly. Wherever he was, he was breaking tradition. Not fearful of what somebody was going to say of how he was ministering, of how he was serving. There is great honor in serving him. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the entire earth to strongly support those 
whose heart is completely His. To strongly support those whose heart is completely His. Second Chronicles 16.9 For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the entire earth to strongly support those whose heart is completely His. How does He support us? He does not keep us from suffering. He does not. But what He does is He keeps us from the despair of suffering. That He does. Jesus keeps us from the despair of suffering. That is how He supports us. He was despised and forsaken of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Yet he himself, he himself carried our griefs, bore our griefs and our sorrows he carried. Look at how it describes Jesus. This is the Messianic psalm, uh, Messianic portion in Isaiah 53, verse 3. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. The scriptures describe him as a man of sorrows and one who knows grief. Jesus knew sorrows. He was a man of sorrows. We talk about people, oh, he's a a man of the word. Or he's a man of the world. Jesus was a man of sorrows. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. They wanted to hide their face from him. He was so despised. I remember once when I was in college, there was a group of us guys and there was a very pretty young lady. And guys were making small talk in this little circle and I said something and this this very attractive young lady, she heard me say this and she was like, I mean, just turned away. Boy, that hurt me. Has that ever happened to you? Just, Just a little turning away. Now, 40 years later, I remember that. Jesus was one from whom men hide their face. He was really despised. He was a man of sorrows. Then it says, Surely, our griefs He bore, and our sorrows He carried. He doesn't keep us from suffering. He doesn't keep us from sorrows, but what He does is He comes right alongside let me help you with that. And he gets his shoulder right under that, like Simon of Cyrene helping to carry the cross. He says, let me help you. And that's why our testimony is that though that time of suffering was terrible, I was so close to the Lord. Especially in our suffering. He carries. He carries these burdens. That's when he is especially close. He says, I know what that's like. Let me help you with that. And he puts his shoulder right on under that. 
says, let me help you carry that. And He is right there, right at our side. Paul was in Jerusalem. He wanted so badly to share with his Jewish friends. He wanted so badly to share with his Jewish friends. And he started to share. And he talked about how he had gone to share about the resurrection with the Gentiles and the place just blew up. He only shared about one paragraph before the place just blew up. And he was placed under arrest. And he's in the prison. And he says, The Lord stood at my side and said, You have solemnly testified of me in Jerusalem. You must testify of me now in Rome also. I've solemnly testified of you? You mean I said like four sentences? And they blew up? That was a solemn testimony. You're going to do the same thing in Rome now. I mean, he stood at his side. I mean, what an encouragement. You just dejected. You think you failed in this thing. And the Lord stands at your side. And he says, good job. I'm really going to use you. This is what he says to us. This is how He strongly supports us to serve Him in ways that are just different. In Acts 10, 28, Peter stands up in the house of Cornelius and he says, you know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to even enter his home. But God has taught me to call no man unholy or unclean. This whole culture said, you don't have any dealings with these people. But he was reaching out, serving, doing. God has called us to something. And boy, you walk with Him. He'll keep you from the despair of suffering. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Impossible to please Him without faith. Whoever comes to God must believe that He is and that He is the rewarder of those who seek Him. We must believe that He will reward us if we seek Him. If we seek Him, He will reward us. This is what He says. The message they heard, that was Hebrews 11.6. Hebrews 4.2 says, the message they heard was of no value to them. The message they heard, they heard it was of no value to them because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. The message was of no value because they didn't combine it with faith. We are obliged to take a word and to walk in faith with it. 
we are obliged to take a word and to hold on to it. What does faith look like? In James chapter 5, verse 17, it says that, that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. It means he was like us. All the struggles we have, all the fears. He, was, he had a nature like ours. Elijah was a man who had a nature like ours. And he prayed, and it didn't rain for three and a half years. And then he prayed again, and the rains came. If we look in, in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 41, you see the picture of this man, Elijah's faith, in this particular instance. Very simply, James talks about it. But in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 41, we really see it. It hadn't rained for three and a half years at Elijah's prayer. Then it says he went up to the top of Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel is near the Mediterranean. You have Mount Carmel, and then there's Mount Gilboa, where Saul and his sons died on. Then you have the Jezreel Valley, where Armageddon will be fought. He went up to the top of Mount Carmel. He got down, and he stuck his head between his knees. How's that for position in prayer? Crouched down, it says, and he put his head between his knees. That's how he prayed for the rains to come. Then he turned to his servant and he said, Go yonder and look out over the sea. So you're on the top of Mount Carmel. A lot of times you can't see the water from that spot where he was just above the, the, the Kidron River. You have to go some ways. I don't know if it's a mile or half a mile. You have to go some ways to get to the edge of this so you can see out over the Mediterranean Sea. He said, go look over the Mediterranean Sea. The servant goes, comes back. He says, I see nothing. I don't see anything. Elijah said to him, Go back seven times. Uh, I was just there. Nothing. Go back seven times. Okay. You walk for a mile. You look out over the sea. Nothing. You come back and you say, Mr. Prophet, there's nothing there. There's nothing there. He says, that was one. You got six more times. You got to go. He goes back. Nothing. Nothing. Goes back. Seven times. He said, go back seven. On the seventh time, he sees a cloud rising up out of the sea and he comes back and he reports, yeah, there is a cloud, but it is only the size of a man's hand. You're not going to get much rain out of that. Elijah said, you better go tell Ahab. He better get on his chariot and get moving. Because the rains are going to come. 
And that valley is known to get flooded as the rains come off those two mountains, Gilboa and Carmel. And chariots are known to get caught in that place. You tell him if he wants to make it to Jezreel, he better get going. And then the clouds started to come. Big black clouds rolled in and the rains came. This is what faith looks like. It is persistence when you see nothing again and again. Let me show you, let me give you a a flavor of this in my world. I write proposals and I pray, Lord, I pray you give me wisdom and insight as I write these proposals. I pray over them, take them to the chapel and I put them before me and I just pray. I send them in and six months later I hear, not funded, decline. I need to resubmit. Seven times. Yes. Year after year after year. One submission a year. Seven times. Sometime during those seven, if the Lord so wills, it'll be funded. That's faith. That is the picture of faith that God gives us. That's the picture of faith. You go back again and again and again. That's a picture of faith. We can't please Him without that. There's no pleasing God without that. And without combining the message of the Word with faith, it's of no value. No value. Again, the devil took Jesus up to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to Jesus, all these things I will give to you if you will but fall down and worship me. And Jesus said, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Matthew chapter 4, verse 9. He showed all the glory of the world to Jesus and He says, It's all yours if you fall down and worship me. Now when we kneel before God, this is not because God needs this. He doesn't need this to think of Himself as being grand. We need this. I need this to realize my smallness before Him. My utter depravity before God. And if you think you are not depraved, you are utterly depraved. We bow before God because we need it. Jesus said, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. The things of this world, the kingdoms of this world, 
the majesty of this world, the glory of this world, will bring nothing, nothing. Misery is not being without something. Misery is getting the thing that we've longed for and realizing that it brings no fulfillment. That's real misery. And I have seen this multiple times. I've seen men trash their marriages and go after another woman thinking that in that they will be fulfilled. And it doesn't take long to see that it has brought them no fulfillment. That's real misery. And they go through then multiple wives and then they think back, well, you know, the first one I had was really pretty good. I wish I had worked that thing out. There is nothing that this world has to offer you in your career, in your marriage. If you think that you will be totally fulfilled by your spouse, you're in for a big surprise. A woman's husband cannot fulfill all her needs. A man's wife cannot fulfill all his needs. It is only in the worship of God and service of Him that we are fulfilled. In the worship of God and in the service of Him. It is the composite of the two. You shall worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. And then, when we make the things of this world that we have to deal with, in that perspective that, Lord, for you I do this. And I serve the Lord in my work for your glory. Lord, this is for your glory then all amazingly, the work becomes fulfilling. I love my work. I really do. I come home because I'm tired and hungry. Not because the clock hits some hour. I mean, I'm just... After a while, I'm like, wow. I'm hungry. I'm tired. Oh, it's... got to go home. I mean, because I love what I'm doing. I love working with students. I love my work. I am fulfilled in my work because I worship God and serve Him only. My work is a service to Him. So I love my work. I really do. People say, what do you like to do? I say, I like to work. Well, what do you do? I go to my work. Go to work six days a week and on Sunday I go to church. That's it. Museums? No. Don't you go out on a boat? No. Like fishing? No. Just go to work. And I love it. And I love working with you. I'm not saying you've got to have my life. I'm just saying, you, you think I need to get a life. <laughs> but I love it. I just love it. Because it's fulfilling. Because I worship Him and serve Him. This is what Jesus said. You worship Him and serve Him. It's worth more than anything. i got a lot of rich friends. I don't want what they have, but they want what I have. Isn't that interesting? You worship the Lord your God and you serve Him only. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. John fifteen nine. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. So His love for us is confirmed. 
It's done. It is a done deal. If you are in Christ, His love for you is confirmed. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. He loves us. That is confirmed. Boom. We stand here under this umbrella of love. But then he says, abide in my love. That must mean that I can just step right out from under this umbrella of love. That I have the ability to step out. And as soon as I do, the world beats me up really bad. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Jesus said, I abide in my Father's love by keeping His commandments. We abide by keeping commandments. We're not under the Old Testament law, not a single one of them. But nine of the ten Ten Commandments, nine of the ten of the Ten Commandments are embodied in New Testament commandments. It's about 150 New Testament commandments, easily 150. So they'll keep you busy. He said, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. It is in the keeping of His commandments that we abide in His love. It's not that His love has changed. That hasn't changed. It's that we've stepped out of it. These things I have spoken to you, He said in John chapter 15, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. I mean, what a deal. These things I have spoken to you because I want my joy, the joy that I have, I want it to be in you. I mean, who is it that doesn't want joy? Anybody here want to wake up in the morning angry and bitter and cursing and spitting? Anybody here? No, everybody wants joy. Because my joy can be in you. In the midst of your sorrow, in the midst of your grief, my joy can be in you. How do you get this? He says, abide in my love. Well, abiding in love, this is somewhat ethereal. You know, this is, what do you mean abide? You keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. How else would you like him to say it? Could he be more explicit? If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. You stay in his word, you'll know his commandments. You will not know them from your own mind. You stay in his word. You begin to read, you go, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. Change my way. You stay in His Word. You keep His commandments. You will abide in His love. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy, and in your right hand are pleasures forever. Psalm 16, verse 11. You will make known to me the path of life. From this pulpit... Back in the Episcopal or Methodist Center, wherever that was on campus, Deverne Prompty said, we know the will of God when we look back. 
we see the will of God. He says, you will make known to me the path of life. He opens doors. Wow. I didn't know this door was open. You will make known to me the path of life, the scriptures say. In your presence is fullness of joy, and in your right hand are pleasures forever. When I was a boy, my grandfather used to always bring silver dollars when he would come to visit us. These were from 1800s silver dollars. And he would keep them in his hand, and we had to pry his fingers open to get that. In your, in your right hand, there are pleasures forever. He'd let us pry his fingers open. This is what he promises us. The bookends, the bookends of all of this is obedience to his word. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Keep my commandments and you will abide in my love. The bookends are obedience. We walk in faith. We realize that it's his presence that sustains us. There is nothing that the world has to offer us that can compare with worship and service of Him. And we serve Him in ways that the world just doesn't understand. Let's pray. Abba Father, thank You so much for Your Word. I pray, Lord, for these precious people that the life of God so fill their hearts to overflowing that they take your word and meditate on it. That they take your word and follow it. That they would keep your word. That they would walk in faith coming back again and again and again. Walking in faith. Lord, I pray that you would so fill them with worship and service so that they would be utterly fulfilled. Father, draw them to your Son, I pray, all the closer. And Lord, for those here that don't know you, for those here that don't know what it is to have your presence surrounding them and to have the abode of you and your Father joining the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray for their souls right now that you draw them to Jesus, that their souls would be saved. And if you don't know the Lord, pray with me. Father, forgive me because I am a sinner. Come into my life. Come into my life. Jesus is my Lord and I believe that he has risen from the dead. Fill me with the Holy Spirit, I pray. And Father, I commit them to you for the glory of God. Amen.